Good morning, beloved. Uh, let's go to the Lord together in prayer before we hear his word. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather around your word, even virtually. We thank you, Lord, that your word is not limited to in-present, uh, in-person meetings, but that indeed your, your word is running throughout the earth. We pray now that as your word goes out, that you would cause it to accomplish your purposes. And as your word goes out, Lord, you would, by your spirit, give us the ability to hear it, to believe it, to treasure it, to obey it. Give us hope, O Lord, through your word we pray. Sanctify us according to your truth. Your word is truth. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Talk less. Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. That was Aaron Byrd's piece of advice. Aaron Byrd's piece of advice to young Alexander Hamilton in the play Hamilton. Burr favored an opportunistic approach to life and politics. He wanted to play both sides of the fence. I mean, he wanted to be in the room when it happened, but he didn't want to risk anything on the way to the room. He wanted his thoughts to be hidden. We can be hard on Aaron Burr, can't we? At least the character brought to the stage uh, in the play, but let us tell the truth. How many of us, when we first watched Hamilton, if we've seen it, and first heard those words, kind of nodded? That makes sense. How many of us thought those words were wisdom? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, many of us have to admit that we instinctively thought Burr was right. Talk less. Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. Yeah, play it cool. Be smart. Don't commit. Above all, don't, anybody, don't let anybody really get to know you. It's only as the play went on that we began to think of Burr as a scoundrel. As things developed and we began to empathize with the main character, Alexander Hamilton, only then did we begin to quietly reject the first words that seemed so right to us. I think our first attraction to Burr's comments reveals something about fallen human nature. We like to hide. We say we value transparency. But our general practice is concealment. It's been that way ever since Adam and Eve became aware of their sin and tried to hide themselves from God while wearing fig leaves as clothes. All of us are secret agents. We're keeping Aaron Burr's counsel. Talk less. Smile more. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. One licensed clinical social worker writing in Psychology Today offered these words. We all have something, something that we don't ever talk about. Don't express, don't show, don't reveal. It may be some painful events from our past. 
And it may be something we are struggling with in the present, an addiction, a mental disorder, a question of gender identity. It may be certain emotions, anger, sadness. It may be our opinions, our needs and wants. It may be ourselves, where what we show is only some persona that we constantly use to hide who we are. That same writer listed seven reasons people hide. We feel shame. We are afraid of the reactions of others. We need to make others happy and like us. We feel like phonies and fear being discovered. We think we don't deserve to get what we need. We find it too painful to express what we are feeling or going through. We hold back because the world is incredibly unsafe and no one can be trusted. So we talk less and smile more. We get skilled at hiding, sometimes from people who mean the most to us and, and often for a very long time. We harm ourselves when we hide this way, though, beloved. We seek safety, but develop fear and anxiety. We look for intimacy, but find isolation instead. We want to be known and to know, but we increasingly feel like strangers with nearly everyone. Eventually, we find we lose ourselves. We not only avoid talking about that thing that happened to us as children, that thing, we avoid talking about our childhood altogether. We not only keep quiet about that shameful secret, we also bury ourselves inside the tomb of our mind with only that secret. We feel like phonies. So we begin to hide even the things that we're good at and the things we know something about. So here's the thing. In a fallen world, sin not only affects our behavior, it also affects our perception of that behavior. Sin says, see, you must hide, you must conceal, you must keep others from knowing. Talk less, smile more. Sin says such hiding is self-control, it's privacy, it's a kind of power. That's the perception that sin would give us. But then we look up and we discover we are actually out of control and not private but lonely and feeling pretty powerless to defeat the sin and powerless about life in general. See, beloved, sin deceives all the way around about the behavior and about the perception of the behavior. Never expect sin to start telling you the truth. It lies. For the truth, we need the kingdom of God and the word of God. But that means something pretty scary for those of us who are committed to hiding. The kingdom brings exposure. It brings light. It makes the hidden things visible. We must talk more even if we have to smile less. Contrary to our sin-influenced perception of reality, that risk of exposure is actually the pathway to happiness, is actually the way we know and become known. That risk of exposure, that's the way that actually leads to transparency and intimacy. 
In our text this morning, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to follow him by using parables. Most of the parables use seed as an illustration. Our brother Matt Swanson did an outstanding job uh, last week introducing us to the parables and preaching the bulk of Mark chapter 4. We thought about the parable of the, the sower or the soils in verses 3 to 20. We talked about the parable of the man who scatters seed which grows up while he's sleeping in verses 26 to 29. And we thought about the parable of the mustard seed, the smallest seed of all seeds that grows up into this big bush in verses 30 to 32. Now with these three parables, Jesus teaches us three lessons about the kingdom of God. First, the kingdom of God grows and produces fruit in only one kind of soil. Secondly, the kingdom of God grows mysteriously and without humanity's help. And thirdly, the kingdom of God starts small, but grows vast and large. Now, tucked in the middle of these parables, using seed as a symbol or illustration, Jesus gives us two other lessons, two other parables, about the kingdom of God. We see this in the parable of the lamp, verses 21 and 22, and the parable of listening. You might call it the parable of the ear, if you will, verses 23 to 25. And those two parables outline for us two other lessons about the kingdom of God. Number one, the kingdom of God is meant to be visible, not hidden. That's what we see in verses 21 and 22. It's meant to be visible, not hidden. Number two, the kingdom of God is, uh, rewards listening, not unbelief. Verses 23 to 25, the kingdom of God rewards listening, not unbelief. Here's a remarkable thing, beloved. God's kingdom is a kingdom we see with the eyes, but we enter with the ear. It's a kingdom we see with the eyes, but we enter with the ear. Look with me at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 and 25. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be, for, be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The first thing we want to observe is the kingdom is meant to be visible, not hidden. Think about the parable that Jesus gives us there in verse 21. Uh, he says there that, is a lamp, it's a question, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? It's a kind of rhetorical question that has an obvious answer. I mean, anybody listening to that question, like, oh, sure, nobody puts a lamp under a bed. Nobody puts a lamp under a basket. Of course, the lamp is meant to be put on the stand. But why? Well, the purpose of a lamp is to replace darkness with light. Under a basket or under a bed, a lamp's light cannot be seen and the darkness continues to rule. But on a stand, the light is elevated. It shines farther. 
The light pushes out the darkness. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a light that has come. It's a light that has been lifted up, a lamp that's been lifted up, that illumines the, the whole world. It illumines every place the kingdom goes. The Lord explains the parable in verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Verse 22 is actually a little surprising. Let me illustrate the surprise by, by asking us a question. When you hide something, or you make something a secret, do you want others to find it or to know about it? Usually, the answer is no, right? If it's particularly something bad. But verse 22 says that the very reason something is hidden or made secret is so that it would be made manifest or come to light. How can this be true? Well, think about many good things in life that we sometimes hide or keep secret. We hide Easter eggs from children. Why? We expect them to run around and find them, don't we? We hide Christmas presents or keep them secret until it's time to open them. The purpose of getting the present is to open it. Pirates bury treasure. Not so it would be lost forever, but so they could come back and get it when they needed it. Christy used to hide notes in my Bible or in books that I was re reading when I traveled, so that I would be surprised when I found it, opening to that section. Tommy proposed to Julia, using a scavenger hunt. Things were hidden, but she was meant to find them. You see, the, the things we value as good may for a while sometimes be hidden or sworn to secrecy, but they are meant to be shared or revealed. They are meant to come to the light. We hide good things so that we can later reveal them for maximum impact and maximum joy. Remember, this parable is about the kingdom of God. It's been hidden for a long time, all through the ages of the Old Testament. It's been kept secret. The promises of God have been given to Israel, but not to the nations. And even Israel didn't know when the kingdom would come or what it would be like. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom was, was not hidden in order to be forever hidden. The secret things of the kingdom were never meant to remain secret. The kingdom... It's meant to be revealed, and its secrets brought to light. That's because the kingdom of God is for God's glory and our joy in His glory. He means to reveal Himself and what He is like so that we would find our highest happiness in Him. God never intended to hide His glory. He never intended to hide His love. He never intended to hide His grace. He never intended to hide His mercy in His Son forever. He always meant to shine like a lamp on a stand in a dark house. Christ has come. The kingdom has come. Light has come into the world. That's what that parable is about. Now we can apply this parable in at least three ways. Number one, kingdom life then is a public life. We cannot follow Jesus in secrecy. The, the kingdom of light must be revealed. 
Part of what it reveals is who belongs to the kingdom of God and, and who does not. Jesus is the light of the world. He is coming to the world. His kingdom is light and his people are light. In the Bible, you can see this light metaphor applied to all of those things. Jesus, the kingdom, and the people of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Matthew writes down this same parable of Jesus's. But Matthew adds another line of application to it. In Matthew's account, the Lord Jesus says this, You, referring to his disciples, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It is the Christian church that must be set on a stand like a lamp in order to publicly cast out darkness. It is Christians who are meant to shine through their good works so that others would have light to see. So, beloved, there is no way to follow Jesus without shining publicly like a lamp. God intends to make our Christian witness visible, not hidden. But we are natural-born hiders, aren't we? The, the question becomes then, are you hiding your light beneath a basket or bed? Are you trying to hide the fact that you are a Christian in some relationship or in some context? Are you trying to be a, a stealth believer? Are you shrinking back from shining as a Christian before others? If so... You are attempting to live an anti-kingdom life. You must repent of that. Remember the Lord's words in Mark 8, verse 37. For whoever is ashamed of me, that's Jesus speaking, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Beloved, we don't want to be ashamed on the day that Jesus returns. And so if we have attempted to live secret lives as Christians, we must repent and live as the light God has made us to be in Christ. The second application. Kingdom life is not only a public life. Kingdom life is a holy life. It's a holy life. It's not just public, it's also pure. See, I don't think this parable only speaks of casting out the darkness around us or outside of us. I think it also means the light of the kingdom dispels the darkness that is inside of us. Notice verse 22 again. For nothing is hidden, nor is anything secret. The nothing and the anything include our secret lives and our double lives. Part of what people tend to hide is our sin. But we cannot be the light we are meant to be if, in fact, we are trying to live in darkness. There's no way to shine as light if there is no light in us. The Bible teaches this everywhere, beloved, but I want us to consider two passages. Look with me first at Ephesians 5, verses 8 to 12. There the Apostle Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. 
walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. You see, if we are Christians, we were once darkness. We used to live doing the unfruitful things of darkness. That's Paul's way of talking about sin here, symbolically. But now we have become Christians, and so now we are children of the light, and we must walk or conduct our lives in the light. We are obligated to live in the light, to avoid the darkness. In fact, we are obligated to expose the darkness by the light. Kingdom life is a holy life. And the Apostle Paul, or John, excuse me, teaches the same thing. So look with me at a second cross-reference, 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with Him, that is God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us, from all sin. Now, beloved, no one should deceive themselves about this. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. The only place we can walk with God is in the light where God is. Uh, it's a lie to say we are walking with God, we are fellowshipping with God, while we are walking in or practicing the darkness of sin. Beloved, that's you. Do not deceive yourself. God is not mocked, and He's appointed a day for judgment. It would be better to judge yourself now and come into the light, to confess those sins, to be rid of them by exposing them and turning to God and enjoying fellowship with God. Here's what you've got to understand. A double life has a single outcome, judgment. The kingdom is revealed in the world not just to make us happy, but more importantly, to make us holy. This is how we share the life of God, by walking in the light as He is in the light. And beloved, if you've been attempting to live a double life, God wants you to know that it does not work and He is not pleased. Do not continue dabbling in darkness. Come fully into the light. Confess your sins. Seek God's forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess them. Commit to following Jesus in all that is holy. Beloved, I fear some of y'all are playing. And you're going to be found out. What is done in the darkness will always come into the light. Especially the light of God's judgment. If that's you, beloved, let me counsel you from God's word this morning to expose your sins in confession to God and others before they are exposed in his final judgment. Let me give you one more application about the kingdom from this parable. Number three, the kingdom life is a missionary life. It's a missionary life. The, the whole purpose of the kingdom being revealed like a lamp is so that it might be revealed to the nations. Well, how do we reveal the kingdom to the nation? We go to them. We go to them with the good news of Jesus Christ. We go to them the, the message that a Savior has come. There's a way to be forgiven and reconciled to God. 
I mean, to live this kingdom life of revealing the light of Christ to the world means that we have to be people with a purpose. We've got to be a missionary people. We've got to be a people who understand that God has commissioned us to tell the good news, to go tell it on the mountain, to go tell it as far as the curse is found, to go celebrate this great salvation among people who have not yet heard, whether that's just around the block with a neighbor or whether that's around the globe with a whole other people group. We are called as members of the kingdom to be missionary people. The light has come. We need to shine it. Point number two. The kingdom rewards listening, not unbelief. We see this in verses 23 to 25. Look there again with me. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the message you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus ends that first parable in verse 23 with a saying that he often uses. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that saying is a kind of invitation. He is inviting people into the truth of what he's just said. He's inviting them to hear and to, to sort of explore the depths of that truth. Of course, Jesus is not talking only about physical ears and physical hearing. This phrase itself is almost a, another parable. What Jesus means is that hearing is a volitional and a moral act. Volitional means this, this form of hearing involves the will. The Lord is saying, are you willing to hear this? Or will you refuse to, 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 to believe this truth I'm giving you? Now, by moral, I mean hearing, in this case, is a matter of right and wrong. It is a moral wrong, a sin, to refuse to listen to God. God is not like our friends or uh, like human counselors. We often decide not to listen to them. Sometimes we are right not to listen to them. But it is never right to refuse to listen to God. God's speech obligates us to obey. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, a willing and righteous decision, an act of the will, to listen to him and to obey him. To be a committed Christian is to be a committed listener to God's word. Now notice what he says in the next verse. If, if that were all Jesus said, it would be enough to require our submission. But the Lord is so much better than his commands. Notice how verse 24 promises that when we listen, there will be a blessing added to our obedience. Verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. Did you catch that? Our listening is actually an investment. 
Like any good investment, there is a return on the investment. In this case, Jesus says that listening to his teaching and obeying his teaching about the kingdom and light will result in a measure-for-measure measure return on investment. This same parable is used to teach this point in two other contexts. You will know these contexts because they're, they're pretty famous uh, in the Christian world. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, there in the context, it's about judgment. You, you know how this goes. Judge not, lest, what? You be judged. Verse 2, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There it is right there. The other place is Luke 6, 38. In that context, Jesus uses this parable not about judgment, but about giving. So Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So there's this principle the parable teaches, a principle of reciprocity. You get what you give. Uh, the word measure there reminds us of cooking, doesn't it? Uh, cooks put into the dish a, a measure of an ingredient like salt. If you put a small measure of salt in, then you get a small measure of salty taste. You put in a huge measure of salt, and, and all you can taste is salt. You get a large measure of, of salt taste. The measure the cook uses is returned in the measure of taste. Measure for measure here. Now in the language of the investment world, this means a 100% return. Invest a half listening and get the gain of half listening. Invest three quarters listening and get the gain of three quarters listening. You get out of listening what you put into it when it comes to Jesus' teachings in parables. Measure for measure is the standard. But notice now, there is then this bonus too. Verse 24 ends with, and still more will be added to you. Hear this, beloved. We are never going to be more invested in God than God is invested in us. The text says God will match our investment and then raise us still more. We, we, we put in our little poker chips. And God says, I see your little poker chips. Then he says, after a pause, and I will raise you my grace. I will raise you my mercy. I will raise you my love. I'll raise you my patience. I'll raise you my steadfastness. I will raise you my righteousness. I will raise you my power. I will raise you my sovereignty. All that I am, I raise you. He adds to what we put into the kitty. Now, now in poker, the one who raises, usually, unless he's bluffing, has the better hand and wins. Beloved, God always has the better hand. But, but God raises us, in this illustration, and then folds. He throws his hand in. He says, you take the pot. The Lord says, I, I just wanted to sweeten the kitty. That, that's what his grace is like. We never outdo God's generosity. And if that is true, and it is, then we should listen and reap. We should pay close attention 
to what Jesus says and believe, give ourselves to it, and expect to see God's kindness returned then some. Now what I think Jesus is doing in verses 23 and 24 is confronting us in our unbelief. I think these verses are best understood in connection with the parable of the soils in verses 3 to 20. You remember that story. Jesus says, you know, as a, a man who sows seed on different kinds of soils, and those soils are representative of the human heart. The seed is representative of God's Word. And in those different kinds of soils, there are different kinds of results. Most of them being a, a form of unbelief of one sort or another. So you remember in verse 15, some have the seed stolen from their hearts by Satan. And then you'll recall in verses 16 and 17, some receive the seed happily, but it doesn't really bear roots. And so when a little trouble comes, they, they fall away. Verse 19, Jesus talks about three different kinds of results there. He says some care too much for the world, uh, and the seed is choked out by those cares. He says some are deceived by riches. They believe the lies of, of money and wealth. And some simply desire other things. They have a choice between God and infinite pleasure on the one hand or something else. And they look at God and say, I would rather have something else. These are hearts that bear no fruit of faith. These are all hearts that believe in other things. They believe in other things that actually defeat the call to faith. Tim Keller calls these defeater beliefs. Defeater beliefs make saving faith and walking by faith implausible or impossible, at least to the person who, who believes those defeater beliefs. It's, it's vital so, beloved, then, that we, we know what defeater beliefs are operating on us, which ones are competing against the Word of God for our trust. What are we listening to? So, we ask ourselves some questions. Are we losing God's word as a result of spiritual warfare? What seed is Satan snatching from our hearts before it can even root there? Or, what teachings of Jesus did we once gladly receive and believe, but now no longer practice because it's gotten inconvenient or difficult or hard? Or what cares and concerns of this world keep the word from growing in our lives, choking it out? Do we believe any lies that riches tell? I mean, let's be real. We live in one of the most wealthiest countries in the world. We live amidst the greatest amounts of affluence in human history. It's inconceivable that riches are not whispering to us. And the question is, are we listening to those whispers rather than listening to Jesus? Just follow the money. See where it goes. Follow your heart. See what it desires. 
And long as we're talking about that, how about other gods? What idols do we prefer over God himself? We, we will know what those idols are because they keep us from God's word. They, they, they tempt us to blame God for not giving them to us. They, 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 they get all of our energy and our attention and we leave very little for the service of God. And we'll know those idols because, because we try to hide them. Or we try to hide our attachment to them. So that even if we admit the idol in some way, we don't tell people how badly it has a hold on us. Beloved, stop giving in to unbelief. Stop hiding. See, here's the thing with the kingdom. If you hide it, you misuse it. And if you hide it, you lose it. The kingdom has come. Light has dawned. A new pathway has opened for us to travel. It's the path of faith. It's the path of, of openness and honesty and integrity and light. Hearing Jesus' teaching, believing the Lord's teaching, continuing to believe them and obey them by His grace, that's the only way to live. There's a gospel rationale in this text, in that concluding verse, in verse 25. Notice how Jesus explains verse 24. He says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The key in this verse is, is whether someone has or has not. And the question is, has what? Well, in the context, the answer is, has faith that hears. Do we have the kind of faith in Jesus that listens to him in obedience and trust? The person who has that faith will receive more. The person who does not have the faith that listens to Jesus loses all. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all or nothing. And no halfway, partway gospels. Whether or not we receive the kingdom of God depends entirely on whether or not we have faith in Jesus, the Son of God. There are no substitutes for Jesus. There are no replacements for faith. There's only one way to the abundant life that God gives in his kingdom, that God provides, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. Now, if we want proof that we cannot outdo God in generosity, if we want proof that God cares more for us than we care about ourselves, all we really have to do is think about Jesus volunteering to die in our place and for our sins. Jesus was all in. He put all the chips on the cross. He gave it all. He sacrificed it all. The Father punished him instead of punishing us. God was righteously angry because of our sin, but instead of pouring his anger out on us, he poured it out on Jesus so that we might live, so that we might have a way of escape from judgment, so that we might know the glorious wonder of life in his kingdom, of life forgiven, 
of life justified, of life adopted. Christ died for our sins, but three days later he rose from the grave. He lives right now at the right side of God the Father, waiting until he comes again to gather his people and to bring his kingdom in its final and full consummation. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God offers you an entire kingdom that never ends? And all you have to do is hear Him. Hear the Word of God and believe. Trust yourself over to Jesus. Re repent from sin and believe in the Son of God crucified for you, raised from the grave for your eternal life, and coming again to gather you into the final kingdom with the Father. Believe and you will be saved. Believe and you will not judge. For he who has, she who has, to them more will be given. Do you believe this? How deeply will you think on this? Or will you continue to hide? Talking less, smiling more. Don't do it, beloved. Trust in Jesus and you will be saved. Put your faith in Him and know God's love for you eternally. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for what our ears have heard. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear, to believe what we have heard, to think about it deeply, to, Lord, submerge ourselves in it, to eagerly seek the hearing of your word. Grant, O oh Lord, that um, we would have faith, and with that faith, you would give us Jesus. And with Jesus, you would give us all things. Although we praise you for how generous a God you are. And we praise you for your kingdom which has come. Bring more people into it, Lord. Bring more and more people into it from every walk of life. From every block in our neighborhood. From every nation in the globe. Cause your light to shine, we pray. Through your people for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.